Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Acts, chapter 19. A few weeks ago, I was preaching a two-part message on the characteristics of a growing church, and I had the occasion in that sermon uh, to mention the work of the Holy Spirit, and I made a comment at that time that sometimes as Baptists that we are too cautious about the way that we worship and too cautious about speaking of the Holy Spirit because of all the confusion that there exists over those who don't understand the Holy Spirit, especially among those that are charismatic. And what we want to do is to make a very clear distinction between we, uh, the way that we believe that God is to be worshipped and, of course, the wrong way to worship God and uh, make a distinction between those who make claims uh, about worship and about the Holy Spirit that are very clearly against what the Word of God says. And so when we have visitors come to our church, we want to make sure that we don't make a wrong impression upon them, a wrong first impression, so that they come in and we think that we're, they think that we're charismatic. And so what we do sometimes is we play down uh, maybe our worship too much, and we don't really put enough emotion, perhaps, into our worship. But at the same time, I think it's very important that we understand that worship is not something that you actually do. I mean, as far as raising your hands or turning around in circles or doing something else. I mean, those are actions that you might want to do. But real worship actually comes from the heart. Worship is from your heart. And so you could do all kinds of things and really have a very hard heart, an unreceptive heart to the Holy Spirit. Now, I intend to discuss in this new series that we're starting tonight on the Holy Spirit. I I intend to discuss some things like that a little bit later on. But I think much of the confusion about worship is tied to the misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Uh, People are the ones that are confused, and it's because they don't understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And they don't understand truly the part that he plays in our salvation, and also in our everyday lives as Christians. Now, if you've ever been asked who the Holy Spirit is and what does the Holy Spirit do, and you couldn't give a very clear-cut answer to that question, don't feel alone. And that's because there are many, many Christians, or you're in the company of a lot of Christians that really do not understand very much about the Holy Spirit. So I want to take some time in these messages uh, to talk about the Holy Spirit and just to clear up some of the misunderstandings about them, about him. And I think it's very helpful for us because we really do need to know the Holy Spirit because the ministry of the Spirit is vital for our lives as Christians. So even if you don't understand him, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not there. And it doesn't mean that he's already at work in your life. He still does work in you if you are a Christian. But you don't really experience the fullness of your salvation and the real um, enhancement of of, of knowing God in, in the best possible way if you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in your life. So I've chosen for our text this evening, Acts chapter 19. And those of you that 
have been in the Sunday morning forum class, you'll recognize this scripture from a discussion that we had a few weeks ago. And we were talking about baptism that's in this text, but we're not going to talk so much about baptism tonight. Uh, We want to talk about the other problem that exists in this passage, and that is the misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. So if you'll look in Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse number 1, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which had come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, there is really a lot of interesting material in those six verses. And I just wish that we had time just to explore every avenue of meaning that we find in these verses. Uh, I can remember about nine years ago when we were studying the book of Acts, we came to this particular scripture, and as I was preparing for it, I just found all kinds of variations of interpretations on what these first six verses mean. Most of it concerned, or a great deal of it concerned, the issue of baptism that I mentioned a moment ago. Were these disciples actually saved when they were baptized? Did they actually receive baptism from John the Baptist or was it from another of John's disciples? And that's a very good study because this happens to be the only case that we find in Scripture where people were baptized for a second time. Now, the issue, I think, in this verse concerning baptism is a problem of authority for the baptism. But as I said, I I don't want to talk about baptism tonight. I want to talk about the other problem that's in the verse. And it really raises a lot of questions as well. Now you'll notice that in the second verse, Paul asked these disciples, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they answered, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, unfortunately, there's been a lot of false teaching that's come out of the question that's asked and the way that it was answered. Some people believe that receiving the Holy Spirit is something that you get after you're saved, subsequent to salvation, that there's actually a second work of grace that takes place, and that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. And the confusion comes because of the word since that we see there. Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And it's helpful for us to understand that the word since is better translated as when. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so in that case, Paul is making the gift of the Holy Spirit the true test of belief. That all true believers receive the Holy Spirit when they believe. Now, I don't think that this is really a question of whether uh, uh, the fact here that they didn't know that there was a Holy Spirit. No, certainly they did, because if they'd ever read anything in the Old, or read the Old Testament or understood the baptism of John, they would have known that there is a Holy Spirit. But what they didn't know was that the Holy Spirit had come on Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit had come to dwell in the people of God in a very special way. 
Now when we see in the verses here that Paul laid his hands on these people and they received the Holy Spirit, it says, that does not mean that they actually received the Holy Spirit upon the laying of his hands or the gift of the Spirit in that sense, but they received special gifts of the Holy Spirit that were peculiar to first century Christians. So we have a group of disciples here that had believed, but they're confused about the Holy Spirit. They didn't know of this new work that the Holy Spirit had, and without correct knowledge of him, they couldn't utilize that special power that's available for Christians to live in the work of the Spirit. Now, it's important that we understand in this text that when the Bible speaks of John's baptism and a baptism of repentance, that it was peculiarly oriented towards repentance. And there was a special emphasis that was placed on that. Remember when, the, when uh, John the Baptist was uh, baptizing in Matthew chapter 3, that there were Pharisees and Sadducees that came to his baptism, and, and John was very concerned about them coming, and he said, before I'm going to baptize you, you need to bring forth fruits that show that you have repented. So the baptism of John was geared toward repentance. Now, it certainly was Christian baptism. We have no doubt about that. But there's a special emphasis placed upon a change that takes place in a person's heart when they believe. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there is a change that takes place in you. And the power to live in an attitude of repentance, the power to live that change that takes place... It's part of what happens in the realm of the Holy Spirit's work. And so here are disciples that came to Paul, or Paul met them, and they didn't understand about the Holy Spirit. So they didn't really know how they could live a fulfilled Christian life, and they didn't know how they could walk pleasing to the Lord. And so they needed special instruction from Paul to tell them what the Holy Spirit's work is. Now I think the same thing is true for us today that we need to be in an attitude of repentance. And if we're sinning daily, as we always do, and we really do want to live on a higher plane and be closer to the Lord, it will be helpful for us to see where our help actually comes from, that it's from the Holy Spirit who works in our lives. So we really need to know, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to see what the Bible says about him. Who is he? And where I want to start for this evening's message is on a very basic level. I mean, we're going to go down to the rock bottom of this and work our way up. So we're going to the very basic things here. And number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person. Now, if you've ever read a systematic theology, you'll recognize that the outline that I'm going to use pretty much is a classic approach that you see in systematic theologies. And we begin with this, that understanding that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. And the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal influence. And that's one of the errors about the Holy Spirit in the early church, and it's still an error today, that people think that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but he's actually a force that proceeds from God. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit later in our study as we get into talking about the Holy Spirit as God. But if we don't believe in the personality of the Holy Spirit, if we deny that he's actually a person, then we also have to deny the doctrine of the Trinity. So does the Holy Spirit meet the criteria to be called a person? Well, let's look at some of the proof that we see in Scripture and we see that he does meet those requirements. First of all, he is referred to in Scripture with personal pronouns. 
Now, this is one of the easiest proofs that we can look at. We can go to the scriptures and see how the Bible refers to him. In the upper room discourse, when Jesus spoke about the day of Pentecost that was coming, he said the Holy Spirit would begin a new work in believers. And this is what he says in John 16, 13. Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now notice how that each time that Jesus refers to the Spirit, he uses a personal pronoun. He says, he, he the Spirit of truth, he will guide, he will not speak of himself, he shall hear, he will show. And those are words that are used of a person. Someone has given this definition of a person. A person is one who when speaking says I, when spoken to is called you, when spoken of is called him or her. You know, I'm not necessarily a big Star Wars fan, but whenever the force is refer- referred to, may the force be with you. I don't recall, now I'm not, I said I'm not a fan, but I don't recall hearing that the force was ever referred to as he. That force is impersonal. Well, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, and for those who believe that he is, they have to get rid of all the many instances in Scripture where the Bible refers to him with personal pronouns. Now, secondly, we know that the Holy Spirit is a person because he has a mind. Or he might also say that he has intelligence. Paul wrote this in Romans eight twenty seven, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, in that verse, the first he refers to God the Father. The second he is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a mind. He is an intelligent being. Now, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gives us a lot of information about the Holy Spirit in just a few verses here. And if you don't think that you really need to know much about the Spirit, you really need to check these verses out and keep them in mind. You might mark it in your Bible because these are verses that are very helpful in understanding the Holy Spirit. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9, Paul says, But as it is written... Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, you recognize this passage probably that many times when this is preached, that people say that this is referring to heaven. That we cannot understand through human wisdom what God has prepared for us in heaven. But Paul's not actually talking about heaven in this verse. This is a quote from Isaiah 64, verse number 4. And what he's speaking about is the mysteries of God, things that are sealed up and were not understood by Old Testament pictures and prophecies. So he says the eye, the Bible says the eye, the ear, and the heart of man are not enough to decipher the mysteries of God. But we notice how Paul says that we're able to understand them. In verse 10 he says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For, his, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 
Now, it's very clear, according to this scripture, that the Spirit knows things. In fact, it says that he knows the deep things of God. So he possesses intelligence, and what he knows is nothing less than the infinite knowledge of God. And then following on in the 13th verse, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now there you see that the Holy Spirit teaches. One that possesses a mind, one that has intelligence, is able to teach. And so the Holy Spirit is our instructor, and we need him in order that we might understand who God is, and that we might understand what God requires. So we need the Holy Spirit to speak to our spirit And show us how we can walk with God. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, that's an important question to answer because he is the one who teaches us all that we can ever know about God. You don't learn these things on your own. As we looked in the uh, uh, book of Matthew uh, uh, last week, I think it was, that Jesus commended Peter for his confession. And he said, the Father has shown these things to you. God shows these things to you. And in particular, we say it is the Holy Spirit who actually reveals the things of God. And then we have this marvelous aspect of the personality of the Spirit. And that is that he has feelings. He has feelings. And I confess to you that I'm not able to understand all of that. And I can't describe to you exactly how God feels. I do know this, that the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. And so emotions that we have must somehow relate to God. And one of those emotions that we experience is grief. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I don't think that an influence, a force, a power can be grieved. That's an emotion. That's an emotion that we speak of with living beings. Those that have personalities can experience grief. So the Holy Spirit is grieved by things. He's grieved when we are disobedient to God. He's grieved when we're rebellious against him. He's grieved when we resist him. The Holy Spirit is a person that can be insulted. When we contemptuously disregard the spirit of grace, as Paul says in, or or the writer of Hebrews, who I think is Paul, said in Hebrews 10, 29, we can do despite to the spirit of grace. He can be grieved. We also see the Holy Spirit can be lied to. And when Ananias, you remember that story in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias sold his property and gave the money to the church, Peter said, to him, he claimed that he'd given all of his money, and Peter said to him, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? That's Acts chapter 5, verse number 3. And you might note verse number 4, where Paul said, or Peter said, You have not lied unto men, but unto God. And you might keep that reference in your mind for the next sermon that I preach on this. So we'd have to ask the question how do you lie to a force? Is it possible to lie to a force? Well, no, the Holy Spirit can be lied to because he's a person. And lying to him, rebelling against him, resisting him are all acts that grieve the Holy Spirit. So he has feelings. He knows love. He knows hate. He loves you because you are a child of God. And he loves you enough that he'd rather teach you as an obedient child than to chastise you as a disobedient one. So you need to know who he is 
so you can make sure that you are obedient to him. We also know that in his feelings that he can be blasphemed. Now, according to Jesus, that's a very serious affront to the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that Jesus would be too concerned about that if the Holy Spirit was nothing but a force. But he can be blasphemed. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now you can stand against that back wall and you can call that wall every name in the book and you can curse it some of you might have done that I don't know but you can curse it I mean, Lino does when he has to fix it uh, you can curse it and you can kick it you can say all kinds of bad things about it you can as I say, you put your fist through it you can throw stuff at it you can chip it and it's been done many times but no matter how mad that you get at that wall and how defiant you are against it, you're not going to have an effect on the wall. And that's because the wall has no feelings. The wall is stone cold deaf. It doesn't respond to you. And so it can't do anything good to you. It can't do anything bad to you. And that's because it's an animate thing. Inanimate. But you try the same thing with the Holy Spirit, you better take cover. Only it doesn't do any good to take cover. Because he knows where you are. He, if you hide, he knows where you are. That's what David said. He said, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Now, actually, he wasn't trying to hide. But he's saying, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. And David actually referred to that as a source of comfort. That the Holy Spirit was ever he, wherever he was, no matter how bad things get, no matter how good things are, the Holy Spirit is always there. So you can't get away from the Spirit. So be careful how you treat him. Now in regards to Matthew twelve thirty one, where Jesus talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what is that? Well, that's a subject for another message, and I'm not going to get into that tonight. But just know this, it's bad. It's very bad. Because the Holy Spirit has feelings and apparently he acts both objectively and subjectively. And that's something that a force can't do. Now fourthly, we know that the Holy Spirit is a person because he has a will. And that's important for us to understand because it's through the will of the Holy Spirit that spiritual gifts are given to God's people for the edification of his church. Now if you still have 1 Corinthians open, I want you to turn to the 12th chapter. And here, Paul explains about the operation of the church as the body of Christ. And a body is made up of different parts and has different functions. There's diversity in the body, so that not everybody is an ear, not everybody is an eye, not everybody is a toe. And translating that metaphor, it simply means that not everybody can be the pastor of the church. Not everybody can be a deacon in the church. Not everybody is able to sing. Not everybody has the gift of teaching. Not everybody has the same gifts to serve God. And Paul explains about that here in beginning in verse number 4. He said, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Now we notice from that verse that God is one. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. And what you have there, and you, here's another little piece of trivia for you. What you have there, Bible trivia, underline it because that is the Trinitarian formula stated in reverse. 
God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. They have one, and they have they are one, and they have one purpose. Now we notice what Paul says, which part of the Godhead is the one who makes the distinction in the gifts that are given to God's people? Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, how does the Holy Spirit decide how those gifts are to be distributed? And that's something that you need to know about the Holy Spirit. Because what you can't do is you can't wake up one day and say, well, here's the gift that I've been given, and here's the thing that I think that I ought to do. I think that I need a little bit more authority in the church. And so I need to be the head of the ministry over here. I need to be the head of that department. And so I have decided this is the job that I'm going to take. And did you know that there are many people that are, many men that have gone into the ministry who are self-called? And you'd be surprised at how many people have acted like they were thought that they were talented enough, that they were smart enough, or they thought that they understood enough. And so they just self-appointed to the work of the ministry. Well, who is to decide these things? Well, here's information that you really need to know. How do you receive your place in the church? What does God want you to do? Verse 11 tells us, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So who decides your function in the church body? It's the Holy Spirit who divides up the work that we do as he wills. And so he's the one that assigns the gifts. And we need to know him because he's the one that issues all the instructions. And we work in conjunction with his will. Now do you see how he is a person? None of those functions, intelligence, feelings, and will, none of that is possessed by a force. Those are things that belong to a person. And then fifthly, the Holy Spirit is a person because he has actions. He has the actions of a person. Now I go back to John chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus said to the disciples, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit is able to guide us into truth. And he does it by hearing, by speaking, and by showing. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said to these disciples that the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth? Now, what truth is he talking about? Well, the main thing that these disciples needed at this particular time was to understand how would they carry on the ministry after Jesus left this world. He'd already given them a glimpse of the church. We studied that this morning in Matthew 16, 18. That's the first place in the New Testament where we find the word church is mentioned. And so Jesus had already told them something about the church, but what he didn't do is that in all the teachings that Jesus gave in the New Testament, he did not explain all the things that the church would do. Jesus never talked about the pastorate. He never talked about deacons. He never talked about gifts. He never talked about administration in the church. 
Those different aspects of the church are all found in the rest of the New Testament. And those things were revealed by the Holy Spirit to the prophets or to the apostles. And so they were to carry out the instructions that the Holy Spirit gave them. And then they also needed to understand what Jesus was doing in the ascension. They needed to understand what the resurrection was all about and how he ascended back to his Father and all the things that would take place because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how are they going to get all of that information? Well, the Holy Spirit the one, is the one who's the guide. The Holy Spirit inspired them. The Holy Spirit inspired them to write and to preach and to teach. He inspired what's written in Scripture even for us today. That we learn all these things about the church because of what the Holy Spirit did in that inspiration. He's the guide. Now, some people ask, well, how can we ever know what the will of God is? How do we know what the will of God is for our life? 95% of it is contained in Scripture. It shouldn't be a mystery to people to figure out the will of God because the Scriptures give us the will of God as it's declared to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does Jesus mean when he speaks of the Holy Spirit? And he says, he shall not speak of himself. Now, we notice the personal pronoun or that usage of himself. What does he mean when he says he will not speak of himself? Now, that's an important aspect of his work. And I'm going to expand on that in a later message. But it means that the purpose of all things that the Holy Spirit does is to teach us about Jesus Christ. Now, it's not that the Holy Spirit does not deserve glory. It's not that he doesn't deserve our praise. But it's not fitting for us to put the Holy Spirit into our pigeonhole and say this is the work that the Holy Spirit does and so we somehow change the Holy Spirit's work and exalt him rather than the Savior. Now we learn in Scripture that it is the Son who redeems It's the cross that we look to. It's the Savior who is the one who's spoken of that will sit on the throne of God and that he will be the one that every person comes to and bows the knee to him. We give our reverence to him. And so what the Holy Spirit continually does in his work is to place the emphasis upon the Son of God. The many different administrations that there are of the Holy Spirit is so that we will learn to exalt Christ. You never read in the New Testament that what we're supposed to do is go and preach the Holy Spirit. And we're not told that we're even to go and preach the Father. But we are told to go and preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's what the Holy Spirit encourages us to do and teaches us to do, that it is the Son who saves us. Now, all of the Godhead is involved in that, but it's the Son who is the person of the Godhead who implements the redemption of our sins. And that's where we turn first, as I was speaking on Wednesday night. The first place that we go when we learn anything about salvation is to Jesus Christ. We go to the cross and we learn what he did for us. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says that the Spirit will hear and then he will speak? What does he hear? Well, he hears the instruction of the Father and the Son. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't already know what the Father and Son have to say. I mean, there's already agreement between them. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always in agreement. But here in that scripture, it's represented as hearing Because that's the way that we normally communicate. And so what he hears, he speaks. And he only instructs us in ways that are perfectly consistent with the work of the entirety of the Godhead. 
There's always unity in the Godhead. There's always consistency in the work of God. So the Holy Spirit, it is his job to communicate exactly to us what God has determined, what his purposes are in the council halls of eternity. Well, we also learn in the 16th chapter that one of his activities is to convict of sin. And when he has come, John 16, 8 says, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And there's more that we're going to take up at a later time and talk about. I mean, there's so much for us to cover that I can't get into depth of all these different things. We're, we're taking the very basic rudimentary things right now. But that's an action that he has. He convicts people of sin. Of sin, He has multiple activities. He, he convicts of sin and he shows us righteousness. He deals in judgment upon the works of Satan. And then he has other activities. And one of those that you really need to know and you need to be acquainted with him for is so that you can understand how he helps you in everyday living because he intercedes always on your behalf. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, if you were like those disciples that came to the Apostle Paul, and you said, well, I haven't even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, then you wouldn't be aware of this, that the Holy Spirit is actually working in your life and in your prayers when you don't know what to ask God for. There are some times that a burden can be so great on your heart that you don't even understand all about what the burden is. And you don't understand how to articulate it. You don't even know how to talk to God about it. And that's when the Holy Spirit intercedes with our spirit to help that prayer to come out exactly as it should, to pray for the right things. He knows the recesses of our heart and he arranges our prayers so they're exactly the way that they need to be presented. You see, as a, as a, still a sinner, now you have been redeemed to God, of course, but you're still a sinner, you still have that old nature. And can you imagine what it would be like for you to have to come in the mistakes that you make and the um, frailties of your flesh and stand before a holy God or talk to the holy God and say the wrong thing to him? Do you think that you never do that? What the Holy Spirit does, he corrects all of that problem for us. He intercedes with our spirit and he helps to bring those prayers to God, present those prayers to God in a way that are acceptable to him. Now, none of these things are things that an impersonal force can do. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when we learn this unique personality that he has, that's when you as a Christian are set to be blessed. So who is he? Well, that's a great question. We need to be able to answer that question correctly. And we can't unless we know him. Unless he enables us every single day to live in the power of God. And so you can see that when these disciples came to Ephesus and Paul was there, and they said, well, we haven't heard anything about the Holy Spirit, that Paul said, well, fellas, before you take the next step, you need to know what you're missing. And this is what we need. We need to learn about him. We need to get it right. Because wrong ideas about the Holy Spirit only lead to confusion. And the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. So let's get to know him, and we'll do that.
in the next, next several weeks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We are so grateful that we do have the Holy Spirit, that you've sent him to us, that Jesus made that wonderful promise that when he left this world, that he would send the Holy Spirit to live in us, to dwell in us, to comfort us, to guide us. And that Holy Spirit is, as your word describes, the Spirit of Christ, that Christ lives in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that, Lord, and help us to learn more about it, learn more about him. Help us to just realize the power that we have available to us in our lives, and may we learn to utilize that power. We give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.